Hey guys, uh, VP Precision. We are don't really have any topics, but we're starting a podcast. And we're gonna see where it goes. My buddy Brian is down here from Ben. We broke quarantine. Got together with a bunch of guys and been shooting. Uh, had a, I got a day off today. I've been working a lot and uh, it's fun. So we're recording on a Saturday. Brian's gonna go home in a minute, and we're just gonna BS for a little bit. So. He came on, good buddy, uh, a couple episodes ago. We talked about uh, 223 athletes a lot and kind of did the intro to him. So you guys kind of know who he is, know about him. Uh, Just a good buddy. We shoot a lot. And uh, we've kind of been, oh, like you guys doing nothing on the shooting side or not doing a lot in regards to competition. So they've all been postponed and canceled or whatever. So we're kind of going through the quarantine blues, but that should end soon because I think people are figuring out that it's a big scam. So <clears throat> we started our own series. We did. Yes. What's it called? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We haven't called it anything yet. We, we started today. We started today. Well, I guess we'll just talk about that a little bit. We went over. Uh, uh, we won't name all the names. I don't know who wants to be <clears throat> talked, but just newer shooters mainly. There were there was ten, twelve guys kind of doing a throwing in two bucks a stage type of a thing and kind of making their stuff up from about 250 yards out to about 750. So pretty good spread of targets, uh, barrels, tank traps, barricades. Back to the roots, $2 stages. It was, it was actually really fun, and I was kind of surprised it got – I kind of I stepped up there, and uh, the old heart got beaten a little bit. I was like, what the heck? I was like, I'm a, I, can't, I wasn't nervous, but I, I was act, it kind of felt like a, like a shoot. So I was like, man, that was good. It was good practice. I was glad to be able to go over there, won a few bucks, and, and had a good time. Um, yeah, my first stage, I was super calm till like, the last shot. And then I got off after I cleaned it. I was like, yeah, it was, that was good. <laughs> my heart was pounding. I was like, man, yeah. first stage jitters gone. It's kind of weird. I don't know why. I wasn't expecting to get them. I mean, we literally been putting around all day. It's been raining. They've been shooting all day. We could hear them. We were shooting in my house. We could hear them, the neighbor shooting. So we went over there about noon. Uh, I wasn't expecting to have any kind of emotion whatsoever. Just go hang out. And I did. I don't know why. That was good. But anyway. It rained a lot. It was good. It always rains in Staten, it seems like. Oh, stop. (laughs) Hasn't rained for two weeks here, but it did rain today. But Brian, I got to say before he does – he came out $1 ahead of me because the, at the end of the day, I said last stage, five bucks, and it was 10 positions, 10 shots. It was yeah, an eight-inch target You were feeling, you were feeling frisky. You thought you had me. Oh, I thought it would be fun. How about and, we go uh, for five bucks? And I shot it like a donkey. Um, yeah, first did. prop was super wobbly. I'm, I mean, that's a tough shot. And then um, I it dropped. It was off of tires uh, on their upright. On their end. It was a wobbly. It was super wobbly. Wobbly deal. But, um. Um, dropped that, and then I, I dropped another one on a wobble, and then I just dropped. I just broke a bad shot on the very last position. So that's just mental sloppiness. When you drop a lot, your last shot on stage is what happens. You did that once today. Yep. You see that in every stinking match. It's like mental sloppiness. Um, that, or I think you're just trying too hard. What do you think? I don't know. So when I, for me, everybody's different. Yeah. I'm. I think I'm way more different than most people. That's but sometimes I can confirm. Yeah. Sometimes when I focus too damn hard, people are like, oh, you weren't focused enough. I'm like, no, man, I was really focused. I think I was too I focused. focused. so much I broke my scope. <laughs> yeah, I think I broke my trigger. I was so focused. He's like powder. Was that and, that old movie where you get all fired up and everything would break or something? Uh, maybe. Get I don't too know. focused I don't or X-Men. I don't know what that is. That's Either, what you do. That's what happens to me. Yeah, I can see that. I th- 
I like think it's barrels. different things for different people, but I do. I was think really focused on those barrels, and I I dropped both of those. Yeah, but yeah, that was a rocking situation. Oh, that's a that's a thing. So <clears throat> kind of after that, we were we're looking shooting with, um, like we said, uh, mostly newer guys, and so. It's kind of this. This is hard. We were going time and then points. So we were two bucks if you eight round stage. Uh, if you clean it, obviously you're up there. And then time breaks the tiebreaker, like most stages. So most of these things we were shooting pretty fast. Which man, I don't like doing, and I've really tried not to because I have a real quick tendency to get sloppy on the trigger. And what, that was probably the number one problem we were seeing today with the newer shooters. And what a lot of what I see a lot of guys do at matches is trigger control. I think that's probably one of the biggest issues um, that I see in this this sport. When I see see newer guys, is is uh, once they kind of get familiar with building position, they they jump in there and they get super slappy on the trigger. So one guy, I just grabbed my camera and filmed them um, shooting pretty good, but he would the shots he missed were all on him because he would. He'd get his finger pointed straight out along the trigger guard, and he would just come creep in, creep in, and he would stop about oh a good three eighths off. You could see a lot coming in hot, maybe a half inch. I I saw that video; it was good, (laughs) pretty pretty good gap. And then he'd just hammer time, boom, and he'd bounce off that trigger and wouldn't have any idea where anything went. And then every shot that he, I'd stood stood next to him and said, "Okay, get to the trigger now, squeeze." And every shot that he broke, well, he pretty much hit the plate, and he knew it. I mean. So that was good, um, but I th- that's a common thing. I think trigger control is huge, guys, and that's something that I that I, I did today. The only the shots that I missed today were pretty much there wasn't much win. I, every shot today was was doable except for those wobbly tires. Um, but even those, I think if you squeeze through the wobble, you would have hit them. But uh, just something to keep keep in mind is stinking. Trigger control is yeah, huge. I think it, well, so when we started out shooting a lot together, we were doing the $2 stages. But I yep. think all of us had pretty similar experience levels. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't a, a, a huge uh, gap in experience. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was, uh, it was usually like three or four guys. The mm-hmm. competition was pretty... Uh, pretty even. Pretty even. Yep. And the only thing that we were doing is, you know, seeing who could shoot at the cleanest and... Uh, the fastest, but today, obviously, there's a major gap in in our experience to their experience. Yep. And which that's kind of why we were telling them to slow down because it was getting in their head. You know, they were yep. like, "Well, we need to go faster because these guys just did it in 60 seconds." So it's like, yep. "Well, no, you got to work your way up to that because yep. it's all about getting the form down and breaking good shots before you can get the speed. Speed comes with practice and." Mm-hmm. In time, yeah, efficiency. That's something you have to we have to let people know about. Sometimes I gotta slow it down a little bit. Yeah, and I'm just as guilty. I mean, you get you get you rush and you make mistakes, and those guys rushing for us and rushing for them look very different. Um, you get more efficient with building positions, but I feel like the first thing to break down is always the trigger control. It's not. You still might watch your shot. You, you still are rested on your bag. You still have. Maybe you're squared up behind the gun and everything position. Maybe there's a lot of fundamentals that are correct. Um, but it seems to me, I'm guilty of it, and it seems when I watch other guys, the first thing to go when you start pushing is the trigger control. Oh, yeah. I, it's the, You get slappy. And so, Punchy. Uh, yeah, dude, you're really good at it. I don't think you've always had pretty good trigger control. That is definitely something that I've struggled with. 
That's how I can relate to these guys maybe more just because it's always. You used to be so bad. I yeah. used to think it was hilarious because yeah. I would film you and be like, dude, you were hammering that trigger. Sla- but you would get away with slappy. it. You would be hammering targets, hitting stuff. And I, I'm like, ah, oh, this shit's going to catch up to you one of these days. I can do it. So, <laughs> and, that's, and that's the thing when, when you talk about super light triggers or getting punchy. Uh, when you're on, you're, you are on. And you can have career days because you're timing stuff and you're punching on really wobbly props. And I've had some crazy days where I know I'm not having good trigger control. Um, and this was a few years ago. I was running a lighter trigger, and I've I've gone up since then. Um, try to to try to um, personally to combat my my problems closer to like a one pound type of a trigger, fourteen ounces. And I was about eight, and so when I was getting down to that eight, I would have some really really good days and hit some crazy shots. But when you're off, you're way off, and so I think it just magnifies it. It does. And so I can, I feel like I'm a more consistent shooter with a little bit heavier trigger weight. What, where are you running at? Uh, same spot. I'm always at like uh, nine ounces. It's like you're up there. Okay, I'm at like nine ounces, eight, eight to nine. But I've never changed it. I've always left. Yeah, it so I'm years. a little. He- I've gone a little heavier, and I don't know. You can punch a 14 ounce. You can punch a six ounce. You can punch a two pound. I've I've watched a lot of guys punch two pounders, and it's uh, it's ugly. It is. Um, I you, feel like. For me, I set mine on like a slap factor. Yeah. I just I, I slap the trigger with my finger. Just tap I, it. I just keep tapping it and see. I'm like, oh, it's not going to go off. Doesn't go off. Doesn't go off. And it's like a just. This is just setting up a trigger. I like yeah. doing that. And then um, it always seems to when I use your little measuring gauge, the yeah. electronic one. Yep. I measured all my rifles that one night, and they're all set the same. I've never just owned by a gauge. feel. Yep. Yeah, just by feel. And yeah, you get pretty pretty keen to how they're how they're set up. But, yeah, but I feel like that nine ounce for at least my finger, like I can, as I'm squeezing in, it's depressing my, the meat on my finger. Yep, before it breaks. It's it's depressing it in, until I hit like the bone. Yep. And then I can do that final squeeze and it goes off. And I agree. That's You can set your triggers. Well, it's too hard. light. It's hard because you get, you can get used to it. I mean, I've, I've shot six ounces before and you do get used to it. It's, it's I don't crazy. know what the sweet spot is. I just know that you can. It's personal preference. Because I can go down another click or two on mine, and yep. it is, I'm just like, that is way too light. It's And you would get used to it, but if you brushed it in a weak side or an awkward position yep. where you see, uh, you can start talking about ADs, ND type of a thing. This, I don't know that, and, and this is, could be debatable. I'm not, it's not the line in the sand, but it does, I do feel like that 10 ounce and up, gives you a little bit more leeway. Obviously, two pounds gives you more leeway, and four pounds gives you more leeway, but there's obviously a sweet spot. The two-pound, people say, you got to have a two-pound trigger. Well, why not a four-pound if heavier is better? There's yeah. obviously a sweet spot, and I have a different opinion. That, I don't want to be that, that guy to say, your trigger needs to be this way. Exactly. I know great shooters that are four ounces. Totally, I think, uh, the individual's choice and, yep. and preference. I feel like the guys that really step out and say, you got to have a certain weight trigger, or the guys that get crushed by all the guys with a four ounce trigger. <laughs> six I've ounce watched trigger, a lot ounce trigger. of people get <laughs> destroyed by a, a four ounce trigger slapper. And I'm not defending it either. Dang, but I've dude. been destroyed by a four oh, ounce yeah. trigger slapper. We won't say names, but it's Oklahoma. hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> And I and I think it's funny, but yeah, I I'm not condoning it, but it's it's definitely uh, no. interesting. And I've had those like again, I've had some days where I've been on doing getting a little punchy, and I don't on prone. It's not as bad. Well, that's not true. If it's bad, it's bad. 
and it yeah. just does it. It does you're, come in spurts. You're it's a lot weird. better now because I caught you. What was it? A couple months ago, up here. I was like, "What are you? What are you doing?" I was, I was like, I was ta- yeah, you, now you like massage the trigger. Yeah, and I, I started watching you. I'm like, what in the hell I are just you gotta, doing? And you rub it back and forth, side to side. And I'm like, putting <laughs> I'm, that thing in a trance. I'm just warming that trigger up. And then, you, nice and then and you, easy. And then you squeeze off. It's really strange. But it's it's been a it's a work for me. I really, if when I get out, like today. And that this was is, your target panic. Why I, it is. <laughs> and why I don't like stages like today Man, I like to go fast. I can go fast, but you absolutely sacrifice follow through and trigger press. You can you can cruise through stuff. So that's the argument for too fast of stages, because now you're taking away that precision, and you're getting into like recklessness almost. Yeah, and I lo- and so me and thought- you both love reckless stuff because it's fun. It's fun, but there it comes to a point where you can't go too fast because you're. You're cutting out everything, follow through. You're cutting out uh, spotting shots because remember the chaos stage? We yeah. did uh, 14 rounds. You, to get all 14 rounds off, you had to get reckless because yeah, it was so we're tight. Not, we're not talking reckless on safety. We're talking no, no, reckless no, not on reckless. fundamentals and follow through. Yeah, you're, not, you're, you're cutting once some corners. You see a shot or two land, you're kind of running with. You're kind no of no impact. Running with what you saw and not necessarily watching for a while if the wind's steady. <laughs> you're I mean, listening you're for that rip. hit and going, let's go. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're moving to the next position, you hear a hit, you're like, oh, good. I wasn't yeah. sure where that one was going. Okay, I can go just as <laughs> reckless on the next shot. Yeah, but at the same time, it's like when when I've got a minute and a half or when I've got two minutes, by all means, use them all. Like, don't oh. – there are stages today where uh, Brian and I were generally shooting first, and so those guys knew – kind of what they had to be. And so if it was a 10 round stage and we got a nine by all, go as slow as you can and get a yeah. 10. Just I mean, go slow. Uh, but you know, when you speed up, you, you, you kind of, people get, are starting to wake reckless. up to that now. Cause I think big time me and you and a few, a handful of other people have been running timers for the last couple of years. years. Yeah. And that is so huge. Being able to look at your timer on, on the clock. It's and really you goes. go, are we going to, are we going to spill the timer beans? The whole sport count, the whole deal. You just did. What are you doing? This? <laughs> you just did. Uh, <laughs> Buy maybe. a sport count stopwatch off of Amazon. Uh, XLR, the yellow one. XLR is coming out with the mount. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and then, uh, but that is huge, huge because now, giant. now when you're shooting a stage, you, when you think you are running out of time, you can look down and go, oh, I have 10 seconds to get this shot off, which is an eternity if you already set up. Yeah, Watch. instead of like on it and shoot, you're like, okay, give it a good solid four or five count, which is an is an eternity. Huge advantage. And then the other the other advantage is a stupid unlimited or well, not unlimited stages, but a stage where it's a prone like movers. Perfect example. You got yep. two minutes, and they didn't set a precedence on how many passes you get. Yeah. Most people just go up there and they'll burn as many rounds as they can on the yep. first two passes, and they'll miss. Where you, you you get up off the line, you had a minute and a half left. Yeah, mover stage go and fast. Now you can just go, okay, let's pace this out. Take yep. your time, make every single shot. I've been guilty of that on movers. Yeah, time. it's easy to go fast on movers. Um, so the timers really help in that aspect. Yeah, I think the biggest thing for me when I run into ninety second stages, I generally seem to not be running them as much. Um, but on the two minutes. 
I've been using them to slow down instead of speed up. Um, it's been the biggest thing for me. And so wherever your weakness or strengths are, you can use them in accordance. If you need to go faster and you know that you just spent 35 seconds on the first position and you got four more to go and you got, you know, 90 seconds, by all means, shift, you know, put it in high gear. But for me, it's like I'll finish a stage, a two-minute stage at minute 40. I'll have 20 seconds left. Well, that's a long, long time to wiggle around or get comfortable in a in a awkward position or or just watching and thinking about the wind a little bit more it's i mean it makes you th- sit back of all the times you didn't have a timer and go man if i would have just spent five more seconds yep. getting into position more stable i could have got all those hits yep and that's what it does so it just yep. takes you makes you mentally aware of how much time you have and you can manage it so much better and for a new shooter that's huge yep and I'm sure, I don't know if you talked about this previous podcast, but um, breaking down your setup time is huge for a beginner to yep. learn. That's a huge uh, stepping stone yep. is figuring out how long it takes for you to get set up with a bag well, in position on a, a prop. It's a 10-second drill that we, you and I started like what, four, four years ago. I was doing it, timing it, and then yeah. you came over, yep. and I timed you, and we're kind of like, hey, it seems like 10 seconds between 10 and 50 you don't want to go over 15 no absolutely not. but you don't really want to go eight either this isn't no. a race it's no you 10 seconds kind of get that is a good 10 to 12 is the sweet spot yeah, a good sweet spot so and you can so break you, a stage down every position you go that's going to take me 10 seconds 10 seconds 10 seconds so yeah. there's 30 seconds in three positions yep and that leaves you you know the leftover remainder to get your shots off spot yep. move transition yep. um and that's where the timer's there you can you can glance at it and see, do checks like other stages, two minute stages where I'll look at the stage, break it down, and and cut it in half and say I need to hit I need to be at this point at sixty seconds, mm-hmm. and then I'll, that's when I glance down at my timer. I don't look at my timer all the time, but I'll, yeah. I'll have I'll set up a, a midpoint check, yep. and then kind of like a tail end check. Yep. But just for you guys who are wondering, that we both we're both right handed shooters. We both run our timers. I run mine right on the left side of my gun, right below my level, and you kind of have you have yours attached to the side of your chassis, yep, kind of by your thumb, so you can start it with I your start it with my thumb, with your thumb when the when which it says is, time goes starts now. Which I'd like I did that so when the RO says your time starts now, my left hand's got a bag in it, yep. my right hand's holding my gun. I just hit it with my thumb and it starts. Yep. So that's that's pretty handy. Before I had it on my arm, and that was uh, kind of juggle, yeah, juggling pain, around. Yeah. Arm, I started out with the armband. Yeah, we tried a bunch of different stuff. <laughs> Taped those things all over the place. Yep. Um, I just use a little. Uh, it's like what's that flexible? Oh, those little snake it's like the things. Stuff that, the, the little, little flexi snakes. The flexi stuff that holds your guys' data card things on the side of your guns. Oh yeah. Um, like the I just use one of those. Yeah, like a blam holder. The blam thing. And it's got a. It's a one of those with a little piece of plastic that's like the same size as little stopwatches, like three quarter inch by three quarter inch, little tiny square stopwatch. And I just hook. It's just Velcro to that. So it's flexy. If I run into something, it just it doesn't nothing. Did you patent? Or get stuck. Did you patent that? The I tape? did. Yeah. The Velcro or a patent Velcro? Okay. Screw NASA. There you go. Was it? The, yeah, they don't NASA. That was my design. I thought NASA's fake news. Stole it. Um. <laughs> 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 I don't know what that was about. Um. The, oh, you know another thing I want to talk about. Um, yeah. What is it? I, I want to bring it up because that uh, one of the shooters today he asked us about. Uh-oh. shooting a barricade and 
okay. about leaning into it. Oh, so, yeah, yeah. and I think everybody does it different, but I, I know this was a huge breakthrough for me yeah. when I finally figured this out. Um, and I always shot barricades, but it, I really fine tuned it with what we're about to talk about. Yep. Um, this guy came up and he asked us how much we preload into a barricade. Yep. And I used to do that. Um, I used to preload barricades and especially like wobbly ones, but I always had lots of wobble and I didn't realize till later that you don't want to preload all barricades. I was explaining to him that I probably more than 90% of the time don't preload into any barricade. Yeah. And by preloading, he means like leaning into the gun really hard, pressing it really hard against the barricade. Yes. Um, so what that does, I found whether it's a wooden barricade, a chain, anything, wonky that's going to wobble a lot um when i do that my body and my muscles start to force the barricade and i start to get a sway usually it's up and down Mm -hmm. um and if i would just what i've learned is if i lean back and just let the gun sit neutral not free recoiling it i don't want to get any hate for that but um, (laughs) but if you let it sit there neutral neither one of us free recoil and it takes all the wobble out. So if you just set the gun there, it's not going to wobble unless mm-hmm. the wind's just blowing or something. But if it's a non-windy day, it'll just sit there right on target. So what I like to do is get behind the gun, press my shoulder up against the butt pad, but I don't want to lean into it. And when I was explaining to that, guys, I use everybody's hands a little different, but I mm-hmm. just use the bottom two fingers, some people use three, of my right hand on the grip, and I pull it back into my shoulder, but not... And this guy was thinking he needed to, like, force it back. Yeah, you don't yeah. need to don't horse. Need you don't need to muscle it. You just need not some pressure. These, not on these little calibers we're shooting. Yes. Um, and you just want your shoulder to catch the rifle, the recoil. You, you have it up there. There's no gap or anything in there. But mm-hmm. you want to control the recoil. Um, but try to keep it as neutral as possible on mm-hmm. the barricade. Um, and if people go and try that, um, a lot of these, you know, newer guys I've explained this to, uh, it makes a big difference. They start to learn as they practice what's going to be more stable. And, and actually, you can watch the wobble shrink out from what you were doing um, and just practice on, on different wobbly objects and find out what works best for you. But Yeah, you don't even need to dry fire. You're just setting your gun on there and yeah. watching your wobble. It's not it's, about shooting. It's about it's just set there, okay, if I, if I do this with this Four-tenths wobble, now it's down to two or yeah. one. And you can and you can do – I'm staying in the plate. I'm just outside the plate. I'm – I'm way outside the plate. I'm holding a tiny spot in the middle of the plate and, and different things. Definitely like chains. Go try to preload a chain. Good luck with that. Or yeah, it's just, there's well, it's all just, kinds I of found like my, my muscles in my hips, you know, yeah. if I'm, uh, it just start firing off and it just creates, it's trying to find all those stabilizer muscles to keep you know, pressure in there, but it's, it's creating a massive sway. Yeah. Um, and there's, and then with, and by all, I mean, by all means, if you've got a rock solid barricade and you can load into it and everything, then awesome. Just, then Don't listen to me. Then it's great. But for the people that that doesn't work for, like, yeah, yeah. I'm not the the voice of a standard or nothing. But if it's not working for you, try it. Try that. Yeah, try to do. And there'll be different different times. Work different. I, I'll go to shoot sometimes where I just feel, and this is. I wish I had an answer for this. Of like everything's on. You feel good. You're solid. It's it's. I don't know how to explain. Like I, I have a dart where I throw darts sometimes. If I wake up in the morning, drink coffee, and go throw darts, 
sometimes I'm all over the place. Sometimes I'm dead on. And generally, if I shoot after I work really hard, like all day at my, I have a physical job to do landscaping. If I come home and shoot in the evening after work, I am 10 times more solid than a Saturday morning. And I don't know why. It's just like if my muscle been worked, I'm sure there's some sports guys that understand this or physical therapists, but I work all day long and I can come home and hold a tiniest spots on all the plates. Saturday morning, if I get up here and have breakfast and go up top, I'm not even close to a solid. It's probably because you're more relaxed. You're so tired from your day job. You just go up there and you're just like, you're like it's jello. Because it is absolutely noticeable. But there's some days where I'll go to a match and I'll feel really, really good. And then there's some days where I'm like, dude, I can't hold the... I can't hold a full-size Ipsic right now, let alone a little KYL. When so, you said $5 in the last stage, I knew you were screwed because I was in the zone. I, I could not. feel it. I was like, yeah. <laughs> it was a good last stage. <laughs> I still made some pretty good money today, so <laughs> I'm all right. But no, you burned it down. Yeah, last stage, just Brian and I ran a stage today. It was 10 positions. Uh, we already talked about it, I guess. It was Ten, eight, One eight shot per position. It was fun. It was a, it was a rushed yeah, one shot per position, two different barrels and tank traps and all kinds of stuff. So it was fun. It was good to get out of there. I just didn't think I'd be as rusty. I was more rusty, a lot more rusty than I thought I was going to be. And I was I was a little surprised, honestly. I was like, I didn't think. Uh, and, I, and on trigger control was my main, my noticeable thing, just, just kind of sloppy and not real focused. Um, so that was really good. I'd like to do that more with those guys. Not We don't have to pay money every time, but it, it, I think it puts a little bit of pressure if it's a buck or two bucks, I, I like it because it puts a little bit of pressure. You can shoot all day for, you know, 20, well, 30 bucks. Bragging rights. Yeah. And that's what we found. stages is 30 bucks. I mean, if you lose every single one of them. So who cares yeah. if it's two bucks? You get a good practice day for $30. Like, I don't know. That's pretty – that's uh, – it adds a little bit of an edge that's different just from shooting, I we guess. We stopped doing it here because – you. This is your home range, and you kept freaking cleaning our clock. Yeah, well, it's you definitely get a home field advantage, yeah. I suppose. But well, people just stop. Most of the guys around here quit shooting. The, the Portland guys over here just cheating on your home range, cheating, <laughs> taking yeah. our money. Yeah, that's how I feel like. It was the I range go, fee. When I go to some of these matches around the country, I've never been there in my <laughs> life. And they're just like, oh, we shoot here every weekend. I'm like, oh, man, <laughs> I got a hole to dig out of. So, no, it's it's all good. But um, let's do uh, last uh, episode we talked real quick on the on the 223 Ackley. We talked about a lot. And just a couple quick um, – a couple – we got a like Reamer questions. The, the Reamer we have is – from JGS, the print number is 0531. Uh, it's a pretty standard it's reamer design standard from Peel Ackley. Yeah, yeah there's nothing fancy about it at all. It's a fourth out crush fit, I think. Yeah. Um, and so why don't you talk about that? We got a bunch of questions of guys having <clears throat> problems. That Most of them, I think, stem from prefits and some tolerance stacking. So Tolerance stacking uh, yep. was one of them. Uh, okay. And then... The other one was uh, firing control yep. issues. What was the Remington? The that one. So the Remington, somebody had taken that one. It was a two two three before, and just ran a reamer into it. I went too deep. Well, no. When you just run an Ackley reamer in on a previous two two three, and then you don't set it back or anything, yep. you're you're not going to have the crush fit. Yeah, okay. and that's why it'll grow. That makes sense. Um, and then you can't set it separate. So that was one of those. One of now three, the other the other one was tolerance stacking. It was a, a pre fit barrel, mm-hmm. so you got the barrel when they make it. 
And whoever ch chambered that is going to do we're plus or minus. <laughs> we'll be anonymous. Uh, are going to have <laughs> plus or minus uh, on their their chamber job a little bit. And then you got the action. More than a little bit on that one. Uh, yes. And then the action is going to have plus or minus um, yep. tolerances. Yep. So you put those things together and... And then who I think his brass was even short too. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, just it was turned into uh, it was a lot. I think it, I think it was like eight thousandths. It was something, something was up. So it was it was a lot. Theory, it wasn't firing. So dashers are formed differently. We talked about this yes. with Joe Walls. It's you're moving the whole body, the neck, shoulder junction. You're moving everything. So you're jamming the bullet or creating a false shoulder. Um, to keep the case to supported. keep the case against the bolt face. Yes. So the bolt that's against the bolt face, and the whole case stretches out to fill the chamber. Ackley's are different; they don't move. To my understanding, they the, don't. The next shoulder, shoulder junction stays the same, but it's the shoulder angle that blows forward. So you're, when you close that bolt, that next shoulder junction should be touching it in a two-two-three. Should be touching right where the next shoulder junction is. That's where in the it's chamber. Going, yes, it's gonna it's gonna seed up against that, and it's so, going to that's where it's supported. And it's crushed into that. Yep. And that's why there's a the, a crush on a on a properly two two three Ackley chamber. That cartridge, you could take all the firing controls out of the bolt, yep. which is a good test. Uh, take yep. the firing pin out, ex uh, extractor or uh, ejector. Um, that way, you can you can s take a virgin piece of two two three brass yep. in there, and it's going to have some resistance when you close. A tiny on, bit. A, on a 223 Ackley chamber because it's crushing that case in. It's softer brass, so it's not going to harm anything, but yeah. um, it's it's crushing it down. That's what's keeping it from f uh, flying forward when the firing pin hits it. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have uh, a... I don't want to say... <laughs> <that's>, <laughs> uh, if, is, if, the, if it was cut a little too deep, now there's nothing to hold it there, and the only way you're going to keep it... Now uh, you're going to have to jam a now bullet. Now you're going to have to jam a bullet. Otherwise, and you the firing pin hits stretch it. your case. And thus you can stretch the case, yes. And so so all that to be said, if your Ackley's cut correctly, you should not have to jam bullets. You should be able to take any ammo out of a box and rock and roll with 223 ammo and then go to town, shoot it, no problems, and you're coming out with perfect Ackley brass. Yes. If not, you need a jam. Yes. And and in his situation, it was he couldn't even growing. It I was think. stretching the cases bad. Yeah, it was it was splitting cases. So he was getting case head separation because there was so much extra tolerance. Yeah. So just anyway, we wanted to hit that real quick because we got a bunch of those questions after that last one. I think um, I got a bunch of die questions. Honestly, I've used Reddings. Um, I think we talked about it, I, but I kept getting questions, and I'm using like cheap. Um, Ooh. I don't even think they're pulled. They're I remember what the question Lee, was. Lee dies. The problem is guys are wanting to do it on a 650. The Redding dies. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to get the bump that you like. Yeah, so um, that's why I, I switched to the Lee, those cheap Lee, Lee set. Like, I can put, set those into my Redding, and I get a good shoulder bump. And those, those are the whole set with the cedar and everything. I think it's 40 bucks or something. Yeah. Cheapest dies I've ever bought. Yeah, but, I, I had to modify uh, my... Uh, die to get that bump. Yeah, because you, you in a Dylan, the you, way that yeah. they sit in there, they don't like to get a good bump. Reddings do, are, do and, seem on the long side of the I head. I think Redding does it on purpose, so you have to buy their uh, shell holders. 
Yeah, that could be. <laughs> it's competition not a big deal to grind down a shell holder in a regular press, but no. it's hard to grind down a Dylan shell plate. Yeah, to it's get not the, happening. No, so you got to. So what, Brian removed some material off the bottom of a die, which is a pain because that's hard to yeah, steal. It's not good. So anyway, those are uh, just no, uh, whatever notes about the that prior podcast. Um, what else? Let's let's talk about. Um, these are just we just a couple things we do that some people do and some people don't, but. Um, there was a lot of hate thrown around the internet uh, towards borescopes. Yes. Um, wow. This question. There's there's all kinds of, and I like the drama, whatever, the ARS, the different people, Magneto Speed sucks, Lab Radar sucks. Everything serves their purpose. So I don't want to fly around the country with a Lab Radar. I love Magnetos for traveling. Um, they're a great chronograph for travel, but at home when I'm just shooting and my lab radar can set up and pick up everything from my 22s up to my whatever gun I'm shooting and I don't have a point of impact shift, then lab radars are awesome for home stuff. So if you're going to buy one, I probably would start with a Magneto because it's small. Gosh, I like the I, lab radar. I, That's a tough I'd one. have to go the other way. I'm, I'm a, a, I'm a lab radar guy. You're just, I just... Traveling at matches, I just think traveling wise, traveling, you can borrow something. Traveling, you don't want to fly with a lab radar. Yeah, magnetos are super easy to travel with. You need two chronographs, is what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't need anyway, two. That's but, a, that was a tangent on borescopes. Yeah, but where'd you like, go? Where'd like, you go on that? Well, like borescopes, there's a lot of people that hate borescopes the same way they hate and, lab radars and or it's, whatever. It's justified because I get it from a gunsmith's aspect. Yes. I, yes, it is a headache for them because people go buy a board. You don't want people like you. What do you mean, me? Uh, anal, retentive. Yeah, but I'm not crazy. calling people asking them about what's this well, thing in my barrel. Now, fi- I never did. 15 years ago, if you had a borescope? Yes, I would have. It would have been a problem. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, so and we're so, talking about me 15 years ago. And so that's so there's we need a to lot of people that. like that, that that major in the minor. So, okay, let's talk about borescopes. So there's... There's a gr- they're a great tool, yes. If you use it correctly, yes. And I think the the, you t- the biggest you, problem. How do you use yours? And I'm going to talk about how I use mine. Okay, so I use mine. So obviously, if you want to look down the entire length of barrel when you first yep. get it or whatever, that's fine. Look for any major, major imperfections like massive gouging, some uh, pitting, something you'll see it. Be, it'll be it'll you'll see it. It's not it going to be have to be major. Yes, it'll be where, major. This it, is where a gunsmith could get, mad, is, could get mad. They're like, yes, the problem is just go um, shoot it. Yeah, just go shoot it. And actually that's funny. That's, we, I could bring up an occasion where yeah, we yep. I did find something. Yep. Uh not my barrel. But majority of the time anybody who didn't have one go shoot the gun if a shot great then who cares. Exactly. Um that, so the whole point that I use them for is for cleaning purposes. And, yep, same. and I'm not here to just be like, oh, I got to strip every last little dot of imperfection out of the barrel. That's not what I yeah, use Yeah, we for. don't clean like Joe, although I kind of want to try it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm interested. I want to try that. Yeah. Um, no, I use it because of carbon mm-hmm. um, in carbon rings. I mean, that is just – and I, I like keeping my chambers clean. So, obviously, our sport, we are running super high round counts, um, compared to most people, we run like yep. round counts you'd see in like some sort of AR, you know, pistol match, yep. hundreds of rounds. Yep. So we treat our stuff way differently than bench rest guys that are yep. shooting 30 freaking rounds. So our stuff gets dirty. We're in dirt, mm-hmm. dust, wet conditions. So our chambers, which most people, for some reason, clean the bore and they forget about the chamber. 
They've never scrubbed the chamber out. This is the exact opposite of what you need to do. So, yeah. Well, the chamber is very important because you can build up some pressure. You can start getting uh, massive deposits in there, and that is the spot most people need to focus. If you're going to clean, clean the chamber. And the borescope, I wouldn't tell people to go out and buy like a $750 Hawkeye no, like not, I did. Not but anymore. That's what I have to. But now they're That's so cheap, uh, and they're 50 bucks on Amazon for the nice little camera. Yep. Uh, those things are great. And they plug into your just phone. Use it if you for, can get them in stock, they've been out of stock forever. Just but, use it as yeah. a cleaning tool. You just go in there and clean. Uh, the place I look for is right at the the junction where the neck starts to go into the freeboard. Um, yeah, where the case, it, where the, the where end the of the case, case is. neck ends, the gap between the where the case neck ends and your lead angle. That to me is the truck. That's the, yes. pretty much the only thing I look at. And you're going to see the chamber as you slide through the chamber. You're going to yeah. see if there's any, but generally you just clean your chambers, brush it, dry it out. But that spot right there is where a carbon ring will stop. When you hear people talking about carbon ring, it's at the very end of the case neck before the lead angle. And I learned that lesson well with my first Dasher Reamer because I was an yes. idiot. I ordered the wrong spec yep. and I got a tight uh, neck. Yep. Dasher Reamer. And I, it was a very accurate gun, but yep. almost like clockwork at round number 90. And it was always about the 90th round through 100. Yep. I'd start pressuring out like crazy. Yep. And I'd take my borescope in there, and there'd be a monster ring in there. And I had so little neck clearance, even neck turning, um, yeah. that I... I had to scrub it out. So every one, like on day one, after the shooting hundred rounds, I had to, at the very end of day one, I'd be pressuring out. Yep. And if I took, uh, you know, borescope, look at that. Most people laughed at me. What are you doing with the borescope at a match? Yep. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and we did. We, we made fun of them I a lot. I got made fun of a lot. But I would just take my brush in there, clean it out, um, never touch the bore. Yep. Just scrub it out with a brush, and I clean my chamber really good, mm-hmm. just out of good habit. And shoot day two, zero impact shift whatsoever because yep. you're not affecting the bore, yep. and all pressure be gone. And yep. come back about 90, 100 rounds again. Change yep. reamer specs, got a bigger neck now, but I still can find that pressure um, yeah. after a couple hundred rounds. I'll start noticing it. So it's yep. not just a tight uh, neck thing. People just need to understand that when chambers get dirty, you can start getting pressure mm-hmm. um, by not maintaining, you know, the cleanliness of it. Yep, a hundred percent. I think that I think it's huge. Generally, if when you're talking about reamer specs, didn't you that reamer had like a two seventy one neck? Yeah, which is to me is way too tight from what I've seen for this game. So most of the dashers for a long time, the dasher standard was a 272 neck and a 104 free bore. And a lot of guys are playing with like 274 necks with like 125 to 135 free bores. 104 and 105 is still great. Um, but a lot of people are trending towards more clearance on the necks, um, which is just, you could, I, I mean, technically the Bentress argument is tight necks and neck turn to fit. And, they just very, it's less working of the brass. Yeah, that's what and they'll run brass for a ton of firings, and they and they're really just very carefully prep and do everything everything's to, clean to ten or twenty pieces or fifty pieces of brass, and they'll run those for years. Yeah, and we're just a different game. We need we get dirt in our chambers, and yep. then that starts adding up. Yeah, now you're going to have more pressure problems because there's less 
place for that to go. Yeah. And don't Sharpie. Well, you can if you want, but don't Sharpie don't all sharp. over. Sure. Yeah. yeah, when you need a boroscope, you'll look in there and you go, oh, there's a red ring, a blue <laughs> ring, and a black <laughs> ring, and it's really thick and it's really sticky it in there. Is, <laughs> it makes a mess. It so makes a huge mess. I always crack up when I see guys with piles of Sharpie on their brass. I so. learned that, uh, I learned that the hard way, too. The rim is pro- inside the rim is probably the best place. The, in you, the At the end of the neck? I... I just I mark. Oh, my, oh, you're talking marking. about marking it. Yeah, I mark the the, the rim. Pro- I don't even mark anymore. Yeah, I don't very much. I don't do as much either. But uh, generally, everybody else pretty does. Good so about this makes my life easy. Let's pick up. I usually yeah. <laughs> so in, around the rim where you're not in the chain, you just you you don't want anything in your chamber. And so the one when I got into for me for borescopes, it was my very first year of shooting. Um, and this is something, and I don't. This is all theory and ideas but generally i think the consensus is that people uh tend to get carbon rings uh in cooler wetter months is what it seems like and what i've people have said that to me you've had did you get a carbon ring with the i got a carbon ring with the uh, slr okay that's what i got it with but i think that was um it, you, it was super hot i mean it was weird oklahoma super oh. hot it was like 105 had yeah, humid like, and you were and, shooting different power. You and I was running a hot six, so that was like two combinations. That's hard to say. I think so. When I my very first year was 2015, I had shot a few matches and qualified for the finale, and I was getting ready to go. I had a six SLR. It was shooting really, really well. It was shooting 105 hybrids at like what was it, 3100. So pretty fast compared to what we're doing now. And hammering, hammering, check it again. This is like. Tuesday before the finale, I got to leave on Thursday. I got like two days, or no, it was Sunday that weekend before the finale. I got to leave on Thursday, and I go up and shoot sticky bolt lift. I can't pressure spike, and it's still shooting okay, but there's no way I could take it to match. I can't pick my. I'm ruining brass, tons of pressure, and I don't. I never even heard of a carbon ring, so I start calling guys. I'm new to the sport, and start calling around, and they're like, "Is it a carbon ring?" I was like, "I don't know." I cleaned my chamber. It was good for like a couple shots, and then it came right back. And I was like, well, it kind of helped. And then I could probably have a carbon ring. And so I started, I'm in a jam. So I started looking for bore scopes. You obviously can't find a Hawkeye in a gun store around here. Sportsman's doesn't carry that kind of stuff. Found one on eBay that happened to be like right down the road. Emailed this guy, tracked him down. I said, hey, I'll bring you extra. I just, I said, I'll pay you extra if you meet me and I'll pick it up. So I drove down south an hour and a half, picked it up, came straight home. Sure enough look in the chamber there's this big thick carbon ring right at the uh lead angle just before in the chamber then i scrubbed it and scrubbed it checked it it didn't even touch it so like okay i'm gonna get nasty here so i'm bronze brushing i got jb bore paste with a drill i am yeah i am going to town and i'm like (laughs) this is insane and i and it wouldn't i mean just slowly coming out so then i just soak i put like sweets in there and i'm soaking it I, i mean it took me it it's not like you can just run a nylon brush in a chamber and carbon comes out. You got to get some pretty good carbon remover and stay on top of it. But this was pretty established. So I scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed and scrubbed. I was worried I was going to ruin the barrel. I was scrubbing so much. Finally got it out, took my load up there, zero pressure, flawless bolt lift, gun was hammering, took it to the finale, shot really well, my first ever finale, and hung right there at the top. I think I finished fifth on the season and, 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 Got kind of start got going, but that was my uh, baptism by firing a borescopes. I've had one forever. 
rarely ever do I look at the barrel. I don't care. Barrels fire crack so fast. You can't yeah. talk about fire crack. I mean, what, oh, well, yeah, fire cracking is totally normal. Happens people, super fast. But that's the first thing people look at. Oh my God, what's yeah. wrong with my barrels? No, that's totally normal. Yeah, Just they look horrible. Chill out. Everything's fine. Gun's going to be fine. It'll, it's going to shoot fine. Um, yeah. That, I mean, I've, I've looked down some, some of my old barrels, you know, which still hammer. I pull them because oh, yeah. it's getting high round count. They look horrible, but they absolutely hammer. Yep. Um, so don't even, no, and th- fire cracking, what we're talking about, fire cracking yeah. is, it's going to, you're going to find it in right in at the, the yeah. beginning of the chamber. Yep. Uh, and it's going to go down. Four inches. Who, it depends, it depends on the, on the cal- powder. Depends on the caliber. caliber. Yeah. yeah. Dashers are not very far. Yeah. Some calibers, lower the pressures, it's not going to fire crack as fast or as, as easy, but. Um, it's going to look like uh, snake skin or alligator skin, really rough, like dry desert floor. Yeah. Like, like an that's old a good, lake bed. Good analogy. Um, it's That's what you're going to see, and it's going to look rough, yep. totally normal. That's, you know, the cause of super high pressure and heat. And I think that's where the guys, I and mean, there's a lot of hate from good and f- I totally friends get it. online. They're like, don't ever buy a bore scope. Throw yes, away. that's true. Don't look at your bore. Go shoot your gun to see how it's doing. But it is nice to just – for me, it's peace of mind at this point. I haven't had a car oh, in forever. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's peace of mind. I guess another uh, a, a thought on carbon rings is generally the thought is the more excess, ex, excess space between the end of your, uh, your case neck and the lead angle, the bigger the gap, the more prone that is to building up carbon is the theory. But yes. it's – it's again hard, I don't, to, hard to prove. So I don't know the when people. That's kind of the argument to not over trimming your brass because you leave more space there. Well, you guys, no, we better not go into that. Oh no, you we can talk of, about you it. You could almost say so, that you proved that theory wrong. No, because no. it's building up pretty hard. <laughs> oh, is it? Yeah, I think I looked in there. It didn't many, look bad for how many rounds are there. So I just Wait, I'm in a, I'm in a debacle. A Here's how many rounds did you have on that? You shot uh, like since five? I cleaned the yeah, the well, throat when I looked at it. A couple hundred. I thought it looked pretty good. But it was, yeah, it's hard to say. It didn't look I mean, bad. I'd have to keep shooting it. It didn't look bad at all. So what we're talking about is, and this is probably, a, we're, we're, Brian and I probably, it's, it's probably good that there's no matches going on right now because we'd be out of luck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have our guns are, so Joe Walls, my buddy, obviously we just had him on. Uh, he's like last year at the finale. He's like, hey, you need to get a, or he goes, you didn't. I, he, I've been using his reamers, which he could care less. But he's like, it would be be cool if you got your own reamer. He goes, I'll put it in a drawer. It'll only touch your barrel, so there'll be nowhere. Everything will be perfect. I was like, perfect idea. I love it. So I get on the order reamer, send prints back and forth. Um, everything's good. Confirm. Wait four months. It took forever. Just got it. Like I talked about last podcast. I've Rush just, delivery. Get it over there. I didn't even look at it. Came here. My lovely wife ran to the post office. Grabbed the reamer, and I had my action boxed up, sent it to Joe, spins barrel, comes back. I start breaking it in. Shoot pretty good. I'm like, it takes a monster jump. I'm like, why is this? I ordered a 135 Freebore, um, and... You called me. You're like, what? What do you? Uh, no, I order. You have a 135 freeboard. Yes. I ordered a 125. You ordered a 125. And, and my f- jump was like sixty thousand. I was like, something is <laughs> up. And so then I'm scratching my head. I break the thing in, starting to do low development. But it was shooting good. It, fire form was shooting good. Yeah, hammering. And then I start doing low development. I'm like, man, I'm get, I, get, I get a couple shots and starts getting flyers, and it's not. Anyway, long story short, 
uh, something got crossed up somewhere, and they sent me a dasher for normal brass, which it has a much longer neck, which I don't know. They should... They shouldn't even sell them. They were they were super cool. We shipped it back. Uh, they're gonna regrind it so I do Lapua brass, like the standard short neck. Norma, Norma, for you guys that don't know, made Dasher brass. They were the first ones to make Dasher brass. They made a long neck, and they made a really long neck for some reason, which is a good it's design. A, it's it's cool just design. it's just it doesn't fit in the Lapua reamers, um, or it causes pressure. So anyway, I got a pile of, of rebar. So all that to be all that to say, I was running Lapua brass in a chamber cut for Norma brass, which gives me an extra 60 thou. It, I put a bore scope in with a case in it with it back drilled out and you can see where the case ends. And then it's a giant space. And so that's the carbon was, I didn't have a carbon ring, but um, it was, it was building up, but yeah. Anyway, so back to bore scopes. Uh, that's another cool feature. You can throw a case in there. Yeah. A you, chamber it. If you have the long video camera one, you can run it down in there and see, I mean, if you're, Mm-hmm. doing custom trims to your brass or whatever you want to do. You can see how much clearance you got on your trim brass. Yeah, if you have those case. like those case gauge that you put in, like with those Hornady tools where the backs... I don't even like using those. Just dr- take a regular case. You don't even have to have it drilled out. But it's got, mine's not long enough to come in from the bore. Oh, I have a shorter yeah, bore scope. Too short. So I have to Sounds go from like the back. So the drilled out case, I can just unthread the, the tool, stick the case in there, and then I can run the bore scope through the base of the case and look where that neck ends kind of cool not a huge deal again this is not a deal breaker but bore scopes are cheap and clean chambers are very important especially in dirty matches i mean super dirty matches. when you start having it's Mud. never about it yeah dirt <laughs> dust it's never a bad idea to swab that chamber out a little bit uh, jake and i were shot that team match we cleaned our chambers out on sunday at least twice on sunday i think we only shot 80 rounds on sunday I mean, so we were, it was blowing and dusty so hard. We're like swabbing dust and dirt out of there nonstop. So, so. okay. Well, actually, since we're talking about it, yeah. I've taught probably a dozen people last year oh, because yeah. they've asked me how I, how I do it. So yep. just take like a pistol um, brush, yeah. like a copper or um, a brass, a bronze brush yep. um, for like a pistol caliber that'll fit the chamber, whatever you're running. Yep. Um, I use that for the chamber, mm-hmm. scrub it in there and just spin it around. Uh, it's nice hand. to get like if the you short get a, rods. a rod with the handle that's fixed so yes. you can turn it. They're not the ball bearing ones that spins, but they're cheap made by Tipton. They sell yeah. actually a chamber uh, cleaning kit. Yeah. I don't have it. Um, that's what I've been telling people to buy. You can just buy those. It's yep. got a short little plastic, uh, 14 inch plastic rod with mm-hmm. a little handle on it. A little flexible. Take it in there, spin it around. Um, and that'll scrub out all that impacted dirt, carbon, because yep. that stuff slams solvent on there. Yeah, and, throw throw some in a uh, patch. Wrap the I wrap the brush in a patch. Do you? I do. I I scrub it first, then I throw a patch okay. around it, and okay. then stuff it in there to extract all the uh, grime. So, and then yep. I take uh, if I have a six millimeter barrel, I'll take like a six five uh, caliber brush, yep. and then I'll. That fits the neck area mm-hmm. usually really well because if it's a 274 neck, you're going to want something yep. that's going to fill that uh, neck up. So I yep. throw that bra- uh, bronze brush in there and I ram it in there until there's just a little bit of pressure mm-hmm. and you can feel the brush actually getting squeezed down into like the, the free bore. Yep. Uh, then I start spinning that around. Yep. Um, and that'll scrub out. Usually, if you have a if you have a camera, you can go in there and you can actually watch how much copper is getting ripped out of there. 
um, on that carbon ring. Usually it takes about two to three. Carbon gets taken out. Yeah. Copper. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yep. Yep. Um, two to three times of doing that doesn't take very long, a couple minutes. Yeah, just spin not, it in there. And I'm then not do scrubbing a, it to clean metal either. I'm getting, oh, no, I just, you just want to get the carbon and dirt and all the that build up. The build-up. It'll still be kind of black. and uh, I mean, you're not going to clean metal. I, I have I, I can. I, I just yep. If you keep up on it, it's super easy. Yeah. So I do a little different. I, I take a same thing, but just I, I take a brush and then I generally wrap a patch. I use, I bought those, um, for the chamber, I buy the 50 cal muzzle loader patches. They're yeah. like a, the two and a half inch circle. I think that's what I use. Yeah. They're awesome. They go right over the brush. I dip the end of it in solvent. This, I use the, the, uh, carbon, it's the C4 carbon solvent yep. from uh, Bortec. That's good stuff. It works really well on carbon. I just dip that, go in there, and I scrub that chamber out, and then I swap brushes and do do the do the neck. The neck is the main thing. Generally, if I can do one thing, I want to clean the neck because the bodies of the cases, that's not that's generally pretty clean. It's almost always in the neck, but I like the clean chamber. If if you're having a muddy day, by all means, clean the chamber. But I remember. It was last year. I was, a couple guys asked me if, if I could show them how to clean yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, And they wanted to see inside with a borescope. Yeah. Because they, they knew I always did that, make yeah. fun of me and stuff. So they asked me. We are in the hotel. I'm like, all right. So I'm showing this process. And I'm like, grab one of your guns. We'll, we'll do your yeah. you do your rifle. And so we, I run it in there, and we're cleaning it. And I run it in there a little further. I'm like, whoa, what's what's that? <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah. uh-oh. I'm like, Something, something doesn't look right in here. <laughs> and old BB. Well, no, there's a there's a big gouge no, in, in the, the chamber. Initials. Oh, uh, no. Um, so throw <laughs> we go in there and look in there. I'm like, yeah, there's there's got a gouge in your chamber. I'm like, does your brass have any mark? And he was freaking out. I'm yeah. like, well, if, if your gun's hammering, his gun was shooting really good. Yeah. I was like, I wouldn't worry about it. it but it was in his head. Because yeah. he looked in there and he was freaking out like it was the end of the world. I'm like, listen, let, let me see your brass. He gave me a handful of brass and it was f- nothing. Like it was, it was, a, it was a gouge. It looked horrible in the borescope. Yeah. Um, but where it was placed in that chamber, it's not going to cause any issues. And I yep. was trying to explain that to him, like that. Where it just so happens where it was at. Yeah. Um, I don't know how it got there. It could have been a gouge from when they extracted the reamer. I don't know. Yeah. Um. But, anyways, I was like, your brass is fine. It's not making any indention on the brass. It's not going to cause any. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah, he he couldn't drop it. I was like, dude, it's fine. Your gun shoots great. See, and this and that's a- the problem. But if you get somebody yep. who gets a borescope and sees that, freaking out. And I'm like, I get it, but don't let it get in your head because yeah. nothing's wrong right now. That's just, the thing. You got to know yourself. I think if you know that you're going to have problems, maybe you shouldn't your, buy it. Don't buy a horse <laughs> don't buy just, it. just clean your chamber. Just make a note to like, I'm going to keep my chamber clean and you probably never have a problem. We just never, I never used to clean. I would, I put my, I put my bore guide in the chamber yep. and then I would clean the bore, dry everything out. And I didn't do, spend a lot of time in the neck area at, I would clean the chamber sometime, but I would never scrub that neck area. And I think that neck area is super critical in the well, ma- yeah, kind of it causes, issue. It causes you problems. It's caused me problems. Pressure. It's caused you problems. It's caused a lot of people I know. It causes yes. problems. And that's what we're trying to say is yep. you could save yourself some heartache and headache if you maintain that area. Yeah, just keep your gun clean. Just keep, keep your, your gun clean. clean. Keep your ammo clean. Yes. Like people, Cleanliness. I see 
But I see there's people guys that, that love. Just, there's guys that love the fact that this but, thing can run dirty. Yeah. This thing's got the most clearance. This thing will run the mud. Like, okay. All of our guns will run in the mud cool, to bro. a certain extent. Cool like, story. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll see, we'll see you in 80th place. <laughs> yeah. Like, just, I don't care. I mean, just keep, like, main, yeah, maintain it. If you're going to spend a bunch of money, like, if you want to do that at your house, I don't care. But if you're going to spend money to go to a match, try if to finish gonna, the match. Yes. I've watched multiple guys pressure out and have their guns lock up because they don't need a rain cover in the rain because yeah. my gun's going to be fine. And this is my, everything's tough. And like, I'll see guys leave their packs out in the rain, getting covered in dust. Uh, not when it's raining, rain, when it's raining, dust, when it's not just loading mat, leaving their mags, laying their bag when people are tromping by blowing dust on everything and just, just keep your stuff clean. Well, you know? yeah, because everybody, everybody loves busting my balls because, yeah. you know, oh, you're under defiance. Those things are so tight, you can't get them, you can't <laughs> get them dirty. And everybody watches me. I keep everything super clean. But that's just, yeah. it, it doesn't matter. My my gun has been so dusty and muddy before. I've never had issues with it. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. the thing is, it doesn't matter what brand. You guys talked about this last Yeah. Part. It doesn't matter. Just keep stuff clean. And, and, you ex- run, and you your chamber in your chamber, you're screwed. Your, your chamber <laughs> is one of those areas Dude, we're we talking about. Off, well, that's a long tangent on borescopes. Anyway, okay. Next sorry, topic. George Gardner, I know you hate borescopes. Next so topic. If you're if you're the guy that can't handle seeing something weird because you will see stuff weird, the qual- pay attention to how your gun shoots. If it shoots good, don't worry about it. Other than that, keep your bore clean. Yep. Um, Anyway, um, we talk reloading. We'll do a reloading one at some point. We don't. We're not going to dive into reloading at this Man, point. I really want to talk about that. We've already an hour deep, and we haven't. Right. We Fine. haven't done that. So let's talk. We'll finish it with this. Um, and I don't even know how to talk about this because I'm in the middle of I fought, fighting this reamer, and now we're fighting this guy. I couldn't figure out what was wrong. I would be just stack two or three bullets and have a crazy flyer. And, and I don't know if it's because of the reamer or not, but it doesn't – having 70 or 80,000 extra headspace cut out. I, I not headspace. I don't even know. Or not. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, it, it equates to freeboard, but it's, it's a long, super long neck. I don't super know what neck. you call it. <laughs> yeah. It's like neck – a long necker free neck i got extra free neck <laughs> anyway so the question i guess is uh realistic expectations for guns and accuracy and this is something that brian and i lose our minds <sighs> over it's never ending um basically what we're gonna say is every time i grab a gun i want all the bullets to go through uh the same exact hole for that caliber and that's and how that, I feel. And we, so we both, <laughs> so we'll start off the conversation by saying we both have horrible realistic expectations for guns. We battle that every day. Cool. We've both have had multiple guns. So we've had handfuls of guns. That. Yes, we've had handful of guns. And sometimes you'll get one that just, uh, just doesn't want to do that. And you just, it's a battle. But then at the end of the day, oh, you go down there. Frustrating. And I've done it here multiple times at your house. Yep. I will freak out because it's just not. To my expectations, mm-hmm. and then you go down there and throw some calipers on like the paper, and you're like, oh, I guess it's it's in the threes. I guess that's not so bad. Yeah, it's in the point threes. The worst, the, the one that always gets me is your 600 yard target. Mm-hmm. In my scope, it looks like a four by eight piece of plywood. Yeah, and then I go up there to paint it, and I, I'm like, oh man, I'm not. I'm like all over that dot. I'm like, this is horrible. Yeah. I go up there. And I, I go to paint it, and yeah. I'm like, holy shit, this thing's like this, a sheet of paper. Yeah. And it's a 600 yards, and I go. It's like a one-inch dot. Oh, that's like a two-inch group. That's not so bad. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I always yeah, want it to hit in the awesome. same spot every time. Oh, yeah, that's a good. That is, that 600-yard target, 
every single time I come here to do load development, always gets in my head. That's funny. Every time. Yeah, I have a couple of big sheets. Two, two. Well, I got a bunch of bigger. I only have one smaller piece of steel at 600 because most of it I'm just testing loads at. So I have big, bigger steel for just shooting groups on. But I don't know. So I, there's different levels. If you're talking about winning a match, going to a big two-day where all everyone's at, all the Oklahomans and the East Coast guys and the Southeast guys and the Northwest guys, all the top guys from all over the country, and you're going to a big match or a finale or whatever, and you expect to win – I think I've heard that you used to be able, people still say you can win with a one MOA gun because ever these targets are so big. I don't think that's true. I You've think done to, it though. I've seen you do it. It depends on the match. Times. You can win. It, if the match does have, there are still big target matches. Yeah. A couple of years ago, you went through a, a phase. That was a couple of years ago though. I was laughing because you'd be so freaked out. I'd absolutely call you know. me at midnight yeah, all I'm shoot, fired I'm, up. I'm, I'm shooting, shooting like load I w- development with li- <laughs> with lights on the night before I'm supposed to leave. Being like, dude, I can't get one MOA plus gun. You and I'm like, just load it and go. <sighs> and you go to the match and you come back with first place trophies. And 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 uh, yeah, there are matches <laughs> you get. Like, I feel like that's going away. I feel like everybody's guns are getting more accurate. Right, well, not and, and there's always fine-tuned. some small. There's a couple. There there's some target. You, I mean, you start you hang a six or an eight inch or. Or or you got to run a KYL rack or a TYL rack, one yeah. shot per, and, and, and you drop the last shot or two at someone else with a gun that's just hammering hits one or two of those. That uh, still gets in your head a lot, school. I think. It is. It is. I'm just – all that to say, I think the – but okay. everybody's running freaking BRs now. BRs, BR, uh, so they're BRs, just a dashers. Everybody's got really stupid, accurate guns. Yep. So yeah, the, the competition, the level's been stepped up. I mean, there's yep. everybody's shooting a lot smaller groups now. Targets yep. are getting a little smaller sometimes. It depends on the match. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you you definitely need a very accurate gun. But at the end of the day, you got ten top ten guys with all very accurate rifles. Yeah, it's still. The trigger puller. I no, I, I I do agree with that, but but you can't. I don't know how many times you can go to a match with a one MOA plus gun anymore. You're, it's going to cost you some points. It's going to cost you. Yeah. And so, all I'm saying is, if you're vying for the top few spots, you already know how you how to do load development. This is this is not for you. You know your process. You know everything, and you know your your personal what you want. We all want one hole guns. I mean, we I talk to everybody. I <laughs> talk to guys from all over the country, and we're like, dude, how you doing with this load development? What's going on? Oh, this isn't shooting that good. This is shooting good. People sending pictures back and forth. We all know how to do that stuff. I'm talking to you guys that are newer. You're mid pack. You're working your way up. Don't focus on that. Don't focus on that. You will drop, like th- today. We shot big. I could hand today. You, you could hand those guys a one hole gun, but it's not going to make a difference. Wouldn't change the score one bit because it's they need to learn fundamentals. Just no. just, pull, pull, just a <laughs> uh, good trigger pull. I mean, you got to so, you got to learn you got to learn how to shoot good in all those so, positions, so, all those times. So, so much the guns the. More. I wouldn't say the the final piece, but you got to have a gun that shoots well. Yep. But you don't have to have that. So how do you tell? Gun. How do you tell guys? Because I get questions from guys that I'll get a question from somebody, and I'll do a PRS search of their name, and I'll look at their results, or I'll I'll know I'll know who they are, and I'm like, you know, this guy is a he maybe he's a newer shooter, and 
he's finished 80th, 65th, 45th, Mm-hmm. And whatever, you know, just a, not a, not a, an upper level guy. And he's asking me questions about what kind of lab scale to get, or do I sort bullets or, and I'm just going, and, and, and you're going, yeah. um, it's not that I'm just trying to encourage you guys. Like the bullets are so good. I mean, you go buy a burger one Oh five hybrid with any of these six mils. It's like the easy button. The 105 hybrid, I feel like, is the easy it button is. in this game. Um, any case that's filled with Varget. Um, no, no, at, Varget's bad powder. You oh, yeah, don't buy, don't don't buy Varget. Don't, no. Unless you see any and tell Brian where you got some. Buy, yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> Varget's really good powder. So, um, I mean, a Varget and a 105 is just hard to beat. Um, and so... I just I, I don't know I I don't want to be rude. Obviously, you guys have heard this a bunch. It's not the gun. The it's reason the we gun, bought it's all the that shooter. It's not the Indian. It's the, it's the bow. It's the Indian. Whatever you want to call it. The reason we bought all that is because we wanted to see if there was a variable that was holding us back, and, and that's it, what it was. It wasn't that. It wasn't that. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, Basically, that's what we're saying. I want as many matches with a charge master as not. That being okay, you got to have an accurate gun to win these matches. That being said. You got if you're lower, mid, even upper, a one MOA gun that you break good shots on all weekend, you can finish in the top ten. Yeah, a hundred percent. So don't I see, and I don't know too many people focus if on if it's a generation thing. I see a lot of guys shooting hundred yard groups on paper prone. Just go shoot positional. These matches, there's so much positional. Shoot four, five, six, seven, eight hundred yards positional. Shoot it over and over and over and over and over again, and your scores will go through the roof compared to ringing every last bit of accuracy out of your gun. Yeah, and and I'm preaching to myself like crazy because we're both annoyed. Like I was going crazy trying to figure out what's going on with this gun and my reamer, and and I think I got sorted. We're getting it fixed. Maybe we should listen to this when we're done. We're gonna we're gonna play it back and and say see, and then you're going crazy getting stuff going and. And just uh, and then we tinker with other calibers and we play with different stuff and anyway that that's just so the, I, I the meat potatoes meat potatoes oh. is learning I mean look at the game we play the, yep. shoot all the props yep. that's what you got to focus on yep. and and the other thing the trick that we've helped a lot of people with is. Get good at shooting off of a barricade like yep. we did up here. We got yep. really good at shooting off them, yep. then shrink the target down. Yep. And that is a game changer. I remember yep. that was that was another giant stepping stone for me is yeah. when we took and started putting four-inch targets up at 360. Yep. And you're like, okay, now my wobble's got to be really and small you pay attention. and got to pay really close attention. And, and yeah, when you when see that four inch target we, now, yeah. you're like, we get to imagine like, oh, it's a 10 inch target. That's awesome. Yeah. Because <laughs> when we started, when I started, the PRS just did their skill stages. I was like, well, that's a perfect way to learn. And so we shot a lot of 10 inch targets at 400 yards because the PRS barricade was a 10 inch at 400. Yeah. And so that's kind of was our, you know, or, or we put an eight inch up at 360 because I've got a berm at 360. And you can you can learn a lot and get really good at building positions and transitions and everything. Yeah, but like you said, when you shrink that sucker down, yeah. you, you you can't be sloppy. Aim small, miss small. Yeah, I heard that on a movie once. I did. Um, so realistic expectations. What if I, if all things? I understand that I'm not going to shoot. I'm, I can't shoot Joe Wall's groups. I don't shoot for whatever reason. I just don't shoot. I've at a hundred very well. I've got 
good groups at 100. It's not my norm. I like shooting groups on steel. And so I'll do pretty minimal stuff at 100. I'll do a fair bit of stuff at 340 if the Mirage is good. And then I shoot a lot of groups at 600 yards. And I love – I've taken a lot of guns that shoot four to five-inch groups, a five-shot at 600 yards, mm-hmm. a lot. If I'm honest, if it's, if it's four inches at 600 yards – I've done that more often than not. Yeah. Um, I've got some guns right now that are, that I've got one barrel right now that's shooting pretty good. It was, I shot a five shot that was probably a couple inches, you know, and that's a, you know, a quarter minute or third MOA type of a group, but two inches, 600 yards, third MOA. And I'm thrilled with that. Yeah. And so I guess realistic expectations, that would make me excited. Um, when I'm over, I do not like being over MOA. I've been there six inch groups at 600. I just drives me nuts. Um, I've done it plenty. Um, but honestly, very, very often I'm taking a four inch type and this is with not much wind. This is pretty good conditions. No Mirage, a four inch gun, which is, you know, it's not three quarter MOA, but just under over half MOA. Yeah. And so you're over half. And so that's still good. Um, yeah. And that's a match, but I take that. That's probably what I take to a match more often than not. If I'm, if I'm completely honest. Um, but what's, where, where do you think you're, you're complete honest? Like when you go to a match, do you have a, I just take whatever I got at the moment, <laughs> but generally you should, generally I, I'm, still a, shoot pretty I'm a good. fanatic about accuracy and it drives me crazy if I can't get it. And that's, yeah. that's my own, like, my problem. This is what I always want. This is what I want girls perf- think we're mad at him. We yeah. go shoot, and then we come home. <laughs> I'm that. I'm that guy in that meme where he's yep. laying in bed thinking yep. about his group sizes. Me too. She's like, "What's he thinking about right now?" Yeah. Does he I, hate us? Is there a relationship sh- problem? It's a four inch group. <laughs> at six hundred. That's not good enough. <laughs> that's. <laughs> I want two inch groups. Yeah. Um, no. You, yeah. That's that's a problem. Is is I dive. I go a little too far on that. Deep in, I, I do guess, too. for me, because I, I've, and that the problem is I've shot some extremely tiny groups at distance with some guns, and then that becomes my standard. I want that to be my I standard agree. from now on. And I think it does more harm. I guess this is a warning to you guys, because, like, I look at Jake, and I, he does not worry about this stuff. He does. I mean, he, he, he honestly doesn't worry about it. No. And, like, Brian and I, we're, Jake makes fun of us, and he rightfully so. We get all worked Everybody up. makes fun of everybody. Yeah. And, and then Jake just like, yeah, it's good enough. It'll work. And, yeah. and, and it is. And he, you know, some barrels he has are just absolute hammer. Some are a little worse, but they're all good enough. And, and his results speak for himself. It's, it's in, it's in his head, you know? And so, it's that very, is what we should have been talking about. Very true. He's the prime example. It is. He's a great example. And that's that. what a lot of newer folks need to think about or like understand and realize is um, I've watched him shoot for years. Yeah. For Longer years. than anybody. Will yes. Watch. And uh, he just grabs some ammo, yep. whatever it is, whatever he loaded it with that yep. day, throws it in the gun and almost recklessly. I mean, just like, how do you do that? Yep. I can't. He you just know, watches where the just, bullets go and makes them go in the right spot. Yeah, and I've seen his guns shoot one hole yep. groups, and I've seen him shoot, you know, some pretty not so good yeah. one or yards, and doesn't affect him at the match. He just yep. shoots yep. and he hits the targets, and that's what it's it's really the about the skill. In your gear. It's confidence. confidence, confidence, and the skills. Yep. Um, the gun comes. Yep. I mean, I don't, I don't know where to place no, it, but it's, it's, it's not the accuracy, the one-hole accuracy stuff. Some people chase it. 
down some deep, deep holes. I'm probably and one I, of them, And it's personality. I mean, some guys like the hobby of like, Some yes. people love reloading. Drake doesn't like reloading. He does it because he needs to. Yeah. Um, I'm in the middle uh, where, um, where it's kind of fun. Um, I like, well, I just like having guns hammer and that the reward of a gun shooting good drives me for the reloading stuff and do whatever I need to do. I mean, I've turned next and I've done all that stuff, but, but yeah, Jake's a really good example of like, Hey, just, you know, I think he's probably the most extreme example of everybody I know in the whole sport, all the top guys across the nation. Yeah. Hands down. He's the most extreme example of like, Hey, my gears put together good. I'm just going to go run. He doesn't do – he just – all his bullets, 20,000 off. He drives a couple of I charges. I could bring him ammo that I loaded in a tote and yep. tell him, this is what you're going to shoot this weekend. And he'd be like, yeah, okay. Well, yeah. And, Maybe it, would, I'll do and that. it wouldn't get in his head. You know, and that's crazy. And that's a mental – that's the mental strength and focus that's that that we're looking for. That's what people should be focusing on more yep. is the mental of the game. Yep. Quit yep. working about tight So groups. there's some, some spewings on – I don't know why we get so – we shoot a group and we get – a good group and we get excited. We shoot a bad group, we get bombed. It's like we do put too much energy into it, but I don't yeah, know. For the, the newer folks, don't sweat it. Yeah, don't sort bullets. Don't worry about a lab scale. If you if you want to, that's fine. skills work great. If you got a bunch of money, by all means, go to town. But if you, if you can afford to use Charge Master, you're going to do just fine. I've won multiple matches with Charge Masters. Um that's not going to hold you back for a long, for a long time. So don't yeah, except for that charge master up in your reloading room. Well, I got to, you got to get that one. Fixed. I got to walk you <laughs> still. I, and that's one of the ones that I use. And so I don't know what to say. So it's like two tenths off. Just it so is. You know. It is. And so what I would do is I would load with two charge masters going at the same time. I didn't know they were different because I never had anything to check them against. And so for years, for a couple of years, I was loading, Two charge masters with different weights, and I shot good. I mean, my ES wasn't great, but it's good enough. So, anyway, um, we've been going for a while, but uh, so that was some ramblings. I hope you guys got some good stuff. I think the the ch- keeping your guns clean, we stress that a lot, um, you know. But that chamber thing is good. Um, uh, you know, don't if you're super particular, maybe don't buy a bore scope and look at the bore because they get real ugly real fast, and it's hard to identify an issue just if it shoots good it shoots good so um as far as what's going on i think people this i hope we get back to shooting matches soon i think i think people are kind of getting the num. as far as the coronavirus goes i feel like the numbers are kind of uh well are we spewing down this road no we're not we're going to just hit it about shooting oh we're yeah. not going to go off on a tangent there's i know there's a lot of feelings and emotions around it and in my opinion, and I guess say it because I'm on a podcast, <laughs> is I think some of the numbers are, I think the drama was, uh, I think slightly is a not a strong enough word. I think maybe majorly overblown from what we're starting to see. I hope, I hope it's ending. Could be wrong, but it sure doesn't look like it's adding up to the doom and gloom of the world ending. So I'm hoping everything gets back to soon. I know people are pushing back in a lot of states to get back to work and we need to. And I hope that includes getting back to some matches so I can see your smiling faces out there and get some trigger time. in so I quit punching the trigger like today. <laughs> so I don't know. Anyway, you have any thoughts? What's your, what's your, all your matches been postponed. Uh, uh, I mean, yeah. Hoping for a spring because My, you had fle- a spring schedule all lined up because your work's more flexible in the spring sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Cause most of my outages for work are, you know, it, it, there's specific times and it all lands usually in the same exact time. So I scheduled 
all my matches kind of around my uh, work schedule, and now that kind of just got flushed down the toilet. So I, I got I got thrown an audible. I got to figure yeah. something out. It's going to be interesting. The inter- NRL is not a problem. They pushed their finale all the way back to 2021, so that won't be a problem at all. I think we'll get rolling. You'll have spring matches before even the finale. So it's mainly right now affecting the PRS. The AG thing is goodness. I mean, that's there's. I don't know how we're going to do that. Um, I'm going to shoot some matches I go to, but a bunch of those have already been moved and canceled. And then there's going to be a massive backup. It's hard to even reschedule. You push those. It's such a weird, it's such a weird time. I think we'll get rolling here in another, another little bit. It's April. It's mid April right now. We have our match. The crazy thing. It's not going to be the same for everyone in the whole country because each state is deciding to release, you know, it, yeah. It's basically you have to wait till the majority of all this is over before matches get opened up again. Gosh, it's over. Let's roll. Um, so yeah, it's going to be interesting. That it, it's unfortunate for it is. the match schedule, but I also feel really bad for. I mean, geez, the the companies in this, you know, in the sport, the industry. I mean, oh, it's I it's shut them down. Um, yeah. Not all, but it's definitely hurting hurting their uh, their businesses, and that's their income. Yeah. Oh, yeah, there's everybody, the whole nation. I mean, the restaurants it's, it's and gun giant, and chassis builders and the whole thing giant is... Giant ripple effect. I feel terrible for the... For, oh, it's just such a weird... Anyway. Hopefully hopefully get this uh, alleviated here soon. Yeah, I hope all you guys are hanging in there and... Um, Everybody's healthy. Getting back to work as, as fast as we can and and get back after it. So it'd be fun to, be fun to get back to normal. And I... As much as I like the not, I've been working a ton. So as much as I like no traffic on the roads and nobody out and about, it's been easy to work. <laughs> but I'm curious what flights will look like when we get going. Um, well, I, who knows? Anyway, that we'll leave that alone. But that's I know it's a controversial topic, and I I don't know. We'll hopefully sooner than later we're back at if it. Labor's so. healthy. Yeah, obviously. I don't want to. We don't. If if you got the Rona, then I hope you're I hope you're okay. I know. I'm sure somebody. It's it's contagious. We have some friends here that test positive in the hospital for a while, and they're they're coming out of it doing they're doing fine. Um, but yeah, it's it's a real deal. Uh, I'm not I'm not conspiracy conspiracy theory minded enough to think it was fake. It's obviously a real virus. Uh, it did. There's obviously some loss of life. It's just it didn't seem like it. I hope. Economically, we're ending the world, but not necessarily virusly. That's not a word. Virally? Virally. Virally ending the world? I don't know. Anyway, we're going to cut this off. Brian's got to drive home. Um, well, we could go on and on. We had just a 22 shooting this. Oh, 22s are fun. We'll talk 20s, about that later. 22s. I got to get me one of those. Dude. <laughs> I got to get me one of those room maxes. It was, yeah, we were shooting my 40X at some, was that at Center X? Yeah, Lapua Center X. Friggin' just hammering. So those 22s are fun. We'll talk about that. I think I'm going to get Paul Dallin on. He won the NRL 22 championship. Good friend. We're going to get him on talk 22s. Um, anyway, we'll let you guys go. Hope all is well. Uh, and we will see you at a match hopefully sooner than later. Any last words, Brian? Keep your uh, chamber clean. <laughs> Keep your chamber clean. All right. Thanks for coming. Uh, thanks for being on the podcast, bro. I appreciate Heck it. Yeah, thanks. Bro. All right. See you guys. Take care.